0: Welcome to Rose Tinted, a podcast where we challenge the limits of our nostalgia by re-examining some of our favourite childhood movies. I'm Ollie Chip. And I'm Paddy HK. And today we will be discussing The Witches.
1: Before we start our discussion of this movie, Oli, I just want to ask you something. Okay. How did you
0: sleep last night? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this film is bonkers. How this film has not emotionally scarred me more than it has, I don't know. As a kid, I can't believe this didn't send me to, like, some form of asylum, you yeah. know? Yeah,
1: it's, like, quite possibly the most inappropriate PG rating I've ever encountered.
0: Unbelievable.
1: Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But, yeah, I, the reason I asked you that is because you were texting me when you were watching the movie to my great amusement, <laughs> talking about how traumatising you were finding the movie and that you couldn't believe you were watching it before going to bed. So I just wanted to double check that it hadn't actually given you nightmares.
0: No, I got a good eight hours, but um it's lingered in my psyche this film since I watched it, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I, I don't blame you at all. I honestly can't decide what's worse watching it straight before going to bed like you did, or watching it as you're getting your day started like I did. Because this will <laughs> this will throw a bit of a spanner into your day if you watch it early enough. Hundred percent. But yeah, I think there's gonna be a lot to talk about. It's a really interesting movie. I think it'll be an interesting discussion. But before we get into that, I just want to give a bit of background info to anyone who may not have heard this podcast before. So, Ollie and I are old friends who made a list of our favourite childhood movies, so we can revisit them one by one to see if they still hold up to scrutiny. Some loose rules for our selection process, the movies have to bear some kind of significance to our childhood or early adolescence, and we try to select movies that we have not watched since that time. So, with that out of the way, Ollie, why don't you tell us a little bit about The Witches?
0: Okay, so um, The Witches is obviously a Roald Dahl children's novel quote unquote children's like this stuff is nightmare fuel for adults so I don't know how it gets away as a children's book Um, but it's based on his writing the screenplay was written by um, Alan Scott So um, it's sort of loosely based on the book and directed by Nicholas Roeg, who I thought I knew more about, but he hasn't actually done much that I've heard of. He's done a lot for television. Mm. Um, But the one thing that he did direct, and this takes me all the way back to when I did film studies at A-level, he directed a film in 1970 called Performance. Performance. Starring Mick Jagger. No way, was that him? Yeah. Oh, I'll tell you what, that
1: makes so much sense in a weird way. Like, the more surreal (laughs) qualities of this movie, especially the cinematography, which I definitely want to touch on a little bit. Um, Bonkers. Holy shit, that's crazy, because I watched performance at A-level as well. Did you? Yeah, it's an absolutely nuts
0: movie. Yeah, it's a mind-bender, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. Okay, that's fascinating. So maybe he's got like a, you know, what's the word? Is it a penshole? Ponchon, yeah <laughs> for psychedelic strange haunting films yeah but it's produced by jim henson and his production studio so jim henson is obviously the um basically the creator of the muppets right yeah and yeah. also uh I think he worked on Sesame Street. And his um, his production company is called Jim Henson's Creature Shop. Mm. They did all of the puppets for things like uh, Dark Crystal. In fact, that's where it was formed, really, was when they made Dark Crystal. Mm. And then, obviously, did a lot of work with uh, for Labyrinth as well, all of the puppets mm-hmm. for that.
1: Yeah, his fingerprints are all over this movie.
0: Yeah, you can really see it. And yeah. it's probably one of the best elements of it, actually, mm-hmm. um, and the most enjoyable anyway. This movie did what Mouse Hunt tried to do and failed I think Yes. Um, in that regard Yeah. so that was the main feature of the production credits that I noticed in terms of stars it's obviously got Angelica Huston in it who is absolutely incredible mm-hmm. she's known for playing Morticia Adams in the Adams family I don't know if she's been typecast <laughs> as like a, a gothic witch character um, but she plays both of them very well yes. she's also a, a regular with Wes Anderson which I didn't realise but she's been in a lot she's got a lot of Voice acting credits in Wes Anderson movies, yeah, and also American Dad, and also BoJack Horseman. So she does a lot of voice work, mm. and I guess that makes sense because her her voice acting in this film is brilliant as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, once those prosthetics, uh once she's wearing those prosthetics, the performance is basically driven by her voice acting, yeah, and it's yeah. it's fantastic. It's really
0: really good. Yeah. So, distributed by Warner Brothers, and it was released in the UK in 1990, sort of early 1990. Sad fact as well is that Roald Dial and Jim Henson both died in 1990. So, oh, no this movie way. was released, and I think just after it, they both died. So, yeah, it's sort of, again, some horrible sort of gothic <laughs> some gothic connotations to the film it's like the two big creative voices in this yeah. movie both died the same year it was released yeah it's like it's like what's uh, what's that movie the omen it's like
1: the omen which had like a bunch <laughs> yeah. of scary shit happen behind the scenes this is like a children's version
0: of the <laughs> omen <laughs> that's a good summary actually. Yeah, yeah it's a really good summary um but it was made on an 11 million budget mm-hmm. and it Made back fifteen point three, so it was actually insubstantial. It so was pretty much a financial failure mm-hmm. if you think of it in you know big money terms. Yeah. Only a four million profit, so it's not very much at all. And I can sort of understand why yeah. it doesn't really have the appeal of a children's movie to me.
1: No, it's got cult classic written all over it. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. the kind of movie that was made with a lot of love and not very much money, and <laughs> yeah. has basically endured in certain people's imaginations over time. It is literally the blueprint of what I would understand to be a cult classic
0: Yeah, it channels for me um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Yes Definitely. Similar sort of aesthetic and a similar sort of emotional tone to it, I think, as mm. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But yeah, so there are the production credits. Would you like my summaries? Yes, uh start me off with your back-of-the-box summary, please. Newly orphaned Luke Eversham and his Norwegian grandmother Helga take a trip to England before heading back to the United States. Helga tells Luke all about witches, their purple eyes, their square feet, their bald heads, and it's lucky too, because Luke inadvertently stumbles into the annual witches convention. <laughs> (laughs) at the same hotel he's staying at. Luke is promptly turned into a mouse by the ground-high witch, Eva Ernst, and must foil her plans before she uses her new potion to turn all children into mice. Very good.
1: Very good. Succinct summary. Love it. Thank you very much.
0: Would you like my... Well, actually, it's not my one line or one sentence summary today. It's one word. Oh, I am intrigued. Go on, yeah, hit me with your one-word summary of this movie. Haunting.
1: Yes. Yes, definitely. <laughs> if there's a, if there was a word to sum up this movie, it would be haunting. And I think it's interesting the the intro that you gave in terms of the production credits and what the movie reminded you of there are a lot of stylistic choices in this movie that sort of give little nods here and there to other directors, other film franchises, um, other genres. And I think there is a lot to dig into with this movie. So I think we've definitely picked an interesting one for today.
0: Yeah, I mean, so why did it make the list for you then? So
1: this one was a bit of a funny one because I think the reason it made the list for me... It was obviously something I watched as a child and was absolutely horrified by. But I think the reason it made the list for me was more out of morbid curiosity than anything else. Yeah. I did watch this a few times, but it wasn't one of my all-time favourite movies or anything. It was just a movie that I watched, was mildly traumatised by, and then moved on from... At least you think you moved on from it. Yes, yes. I thought I'd (laughs) moved on from it. It all came screaming back to me when I was watching it. Um, But... I guess the reason I wanted it on the list, uh, because I was the one that was, like, pushing for us to watch this one, is because it's one of those movies where I had this distinctive memory of it being really surreal and really unusual and really uncanny. And I remember the feelings I associated with it as a child was it just being a little bit off, you know? Yeah. and. I wanted to see if it was still as surreal and weird as I remembered it being, because there's nothing worse than, you know, remembering a, a childhood movie as being interesting and a little bit left field and then going back and re-watching it and it just being boring, mundane. Yeah, bland. And, yeah, bland. So that was my main motivation for revisiting this movie is I wanted to see if it was as weird and surreal as I remembered it being. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the scenes that I remembered from it, there wasn't very much, just a general sense of being unsettled in an almost nauseating way like i think it was like this it's a very physically nauseating movie there's a lot of like scratching of wounds and squelching and like things being squashed and things being cut and it's quite visceral isn't it it's very visceral so i remembered the movie being quite disgusting but i couldn't quite put my finger on why but the scenes i specifically remembered were i just remembered a boy turning into a mouse which obviously happens twice in the movie mm-hmm. and i remembered the grand high witch turning into a mouse with a wig and being squished yeah and also and this was weird the one minor detail i remembered going into this movie i remembered something about cucumber and margarine sandwiches and that's about it <laughs> <laughs> that is such a minor part <laughs> i don't, i don't know why that's stuck in my head because at one point this like snotty little kid uh the the main character luke meets is like i I really don't like margarine. Yeah, <laughs> I hope there's butter in the sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For some reason, that just latched into my brain. But yeah, that's that's more or less it for me. What about you? Why did it make the list for you?
0: Well, it's one of many Roald Dahl adaptations that we've got on the list to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I think the other ones, the animated BFG and the animated. James and the Giant Peach as well. Mm. They're both quite similar mm-hmm. in that regard where this one sticks out as being a little bit of the black sheep of the roll dial film canon. Mm-hmm. So it's a similar sort of thing to you really. Like I'm just I was just morbidly curious as to how this film would hit me mm-hmm. as an adult because Again, I didn't watch it very much when I was a kid, mainly because like I didn't get much joy out of it. <laughs> yeah. It's a relatively joyless movie, isn't it? Really, <laughs> yeah, it's quite it's yeah. quite horrible. Um, so I, I probably avoided it for that reason. Um, but I, I wanted to see I wanted to see if it was as disturbing as i remember it being as a kid and in terms of things i remember it was very very fleeting um in terms of any coherent sequences or anything like that i just remember like the grotesque boils on the bald heads being mm-hmm. scratched and yeah. the green smoke coming out of people's mouths mm. and that was r- about it i've literally put i remember colon boils and green smoke in my yeah. notes that's yeah. pretty much it because like you said it's very visceral and very It's just gross, man. It's just gross.
1: Yeah, it's a gross movie. But... I would argue, in a great way. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm going to argue, and I think it was interesting. I was sort of thinking about how do we want to approach the discussion of what's good about this movie and what's bad about this movie? Because there is potentially an argument to be made that if they were trying to create, a, you know, a child-friendly movie, it's maybe not that successful. But, if they're trying to construct what is essentially a horror movie that just so happens to be aimed at children, I think it's very successful, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, I think that's the angle I'm going to approach it from when we discuss this in a bit more depth. Um, but seeing as we're already getting into it, should we talk about some of the things we enjoyed in this movie? Let's do it. Okay, Ollie, so why do you start us off? Why do you tell us what? there is to enjoy
0: about this movie. Well, but just before we do that, can I just, just state for the record that this is yet another 90s kids movie that starts with the death of parents. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is that? What, what is I don't that? understand what this trope is, but honestly, we've how many films have we done now like close to 20, and I reckon yeah. we've got at least six that start with the death of parents. It's it's crazy. Mate, honestly, I must have
1: been just on edge, constantly as a child, waiting for my parents to die. <laughs> Literally, there's just parental threats coming from every angle. It is a strange trope.
0: Well, oh, it's, it's particularly strange in this one because it doesn't really need to happen. No. Like, the death of the parents in this film doesn't really have any bearing on what happens afterwards. No. It's very, very strange. But I I just wanted yeah, just to point out that this can go onto the list of children's movies that start with the deaths of parents or family members because it happens within the opening 10 minutes off screen as well they just go out for dinner and they never come back it's absolutely harrowing yeah but in terms of things that i liked i, I want to start i think well we should probably start with the main thing here that is angelica huston as the grand high witch absolutely she's just brilliant in this movie 100 she is absolutely
1: knocking it out of the park all the way through her performance is so theatrical it's like a nightmare panic to my
0: i think the, the the reason that it's theatrical i think you're right like it's sort of uh melodramatic in the extreme isn't it mm. but she is literally on a stage for two-thirds of her performance yeah yeah that middle sort of 20 minutes where we're introduced to the witches' convention she is literally standing on a stage like she would be in a theater and i think her performance plays into that really really nicely oh yeah 100
1: percent. and the fact that the performance comes across so well despite the heavy makeup and prosthetics that she's wearing at the time Mm. is a real testament to her ability to embody the character so as we touched Mm -hmm. on earlier she can't really facially emote like the makeup has her face in like a bit of a scowl the whole time yeah uh, once she you know rips off her face and reveals her actual face which is like this horrible. It's nightmare fuel. Let's just
0: call it nightmare fuel because that's exactly what it is.
1: Yeah, it's nightmare fuel. Uh, And that basically covers her entire face so she can't facially emote so she has to rely entirely on her physicality Mm -hmm. and her vocal performance and the way that she moves across that stage it's so magnetic because like every little gesture she's got these like really long prosthetic fingernails and like (laughs) and, and she's really skinny and bony and like every limb just points out weird angles, and she's just constantly, like, stretching towards people, and every single word she says is, like, ultra-emphasized by some kind of theatrical gesture, Yeah, and it's just brilliant, and that, coupled with her vocal performance, which we we touched upon earlier, she's just, like, projecting this thespian German accent into this conference room, and it's just fantastic.
0: Well, when she's disguised as Mm. the normal human woman... Mm she is sort of dressed she's costumed as a quintessential like femme fatale isn't she yeah black dress like pale skin bright red lipstick yeah. and she really does like look the part as the femme fatale but then she manages to maintain that performance even though she's decked out in six inches of plastic when she's the actual witch do you know what I mean yeah and I just thought it was fa- it was fascinating to me that she was able to convince me that she was this witch under what is essentially like that don't get me wrong like like. Like the prosthetic makeup there is really, really gross and brilliant but it's very very clearly prosthetics do you know oh, what yeah. I mean the, re- the realism goes straight out the window but it's her performance that sort of grounds it and keeps you engaged with what's going on in the story 100% and I actually think that the combination of her performance and these
1: weird prosthetics like you say which are borderline you know Star Trek levels of prosthetics you know mm. the combination of that grounded performance or that performance that's grounded so much in what we've seen of her in the film so far and those prosthetics makes it even more uncanny. Yeah, And I think nightmare fuel is a really good way of describing this movie in general because there are sequences and performances such as hers where it feels like a bad dream. Yeah, it's feverish, isn't it? Yeah, it's very feverish, actually. And I do want to touch on sort of the construction of horror elements in the movie, Mm -hmm. which I think is the glue that holds the movie together. That is what I was here to see, is how it constructed these elements and made them horrifying to the audience and there's a bunch of ways the movie achieves this and it does it immediately it wastes absolutely no time like you said within Mm. the first 10 minutes we have a parental death but I want to say some other things that happen within the first 10 minutes of the movie so within the first 3 minutes of the movie Mm. the grandma is telling a story to Luke about witches and then he's like how do you know that witches are real and she just slaps her hand on the table and there's like a gnarly stomach of a finger on her hand basically (laughs) implying that a witch removed her finger it's like wow this is not pulling any punches whatsoever and then that immediately moves on to her telling this frankly completely haunting story about her best friend being kidnapped by a witch and then trapped in a painting which is almost like that's almost like Edgar Allan Poe-esque levels of horror
0: it's something that wouldn't be out of place in like a modern film like You can imagine that being the premise for, like, The Conjuring, for example. Like, getting cursed and put into a painting where you actually still age. Like, she aged in the painting until she died of old age. It's fucking horrible. (laughs) It's horrible. (laughs) Do Do you know what the scariest part of that was?
1: And the part that I actually, whilst watching it, remembered... I remembered that it had affected me as a child is when the dad notices that she's in the painting. Yeah, So the dad of this little girl, he's looking at the painting and he suddenly gets this completely haunted horrified look in his eyes. Well, because he's also the one who sent her to the shops to get milk. Yeah, and that's where she got kidnapped by a witch and then put into this painting. And yeah, that story is also, it's not only an effective sort of horror motif, it's also a really good expository tool so it sets up what the tells for a witch are yeah. um, the grandma's like well they have stubby feet and you know they're bald they all have to wear wigs and they hate children they smell really bad to them and things like that and so that comes into play later, where another horror element that's explored in the movie is the idea that anyone can be a witch and that they're everywhere. Yeah. And that was very Rosemary's Baby to me, or They Live. There was like this really horrible sequence where Luke is being chased out of the hotel, and literally every other woman that he runs past is a witch that's trying to get him. Yeah. And that to me was actually probably the scariest sequence in the movie.
0: When they're all like, they're almost like zombies, aren't they? They're. All- yeah. Sort of like clawing at him And there's big crowds of, of women Like all just sort of like clawing for this small child Who's trying to run away from them It's horrible
1: Yeah it's it's really um, That was the most nightmarish in literal terms Sequence of the movie Because what happens is Luke crashes the witches' conference basically And he's hiding in a corner And suddenly one of them smells him And so then what happens is They all start trying to grab him As he's running out of the hall You've got like all these clamouring hands And a lot of it is shot from his point of view and it feels really claustrophobic really panicky it's just an absolutely horrifying sequence and the thing that makes it scary like really scary is In a lot of horror movies, what happens is you're in a room, you know, and you're being pursued by something. Let's say you're in a building, a haunted house or whatever, and you're pursued by a certain thing. You make it out of that building. You're safe is sort of like the general idea. Mm. And the scariest thing about that is they cross the boundary of that hotel and they have no qualms about who else sees them, who else notices them. They're just tearing after him through, you know, towards the edge of this cliff. And like I said, people are coming in from outside of the frame to try and grab him. You see hands coming in from outside of the shot, just like clawing at him. and that to me felt like an actual nightmare of just like constantly running and trying to get away but not being able to get away it was um horrifying
0: i think as well like just going back to what you said about that sequence being shot predominantly from his point of view so you really emphasize like the claustrophobia like they do a good job with the cinematography at other points as well where you have these like really tightly framed close-ups of Mm. the different witches like emoting in these really grotesque ways and like Mm. distorting their face and like their gesture and their facial expressions are really disgusting and obviously you've got lots of close-ups of the boils on the backs of their heads and stuff like that and just that what they did quite nicely in a lot of those more horrible horrifying sequences was use the camera to emphasize them like yes there's just a lot of a lot of camera work that made me squirm and made Mm. me uncomfortable and it tied in really nicely and succinctly with the visuals as well 100% like there's um you mentioned like the close-ups
1: of the witches' faces and a lot of those close-ups are achieved with these really rapid pull-ins yeah so they filmed from a low angle and they pull in to like the witch's faces yeah it's really disorientating it has the effect of being disorientating and, and nauseating um so i think there's actually quite a few horror tropes being played with in this movie and i actually wanted to ask you for you personally what was the scene that frightened you the
0: most in this viewing <laughs> of the movie <laughs> Okay, so the honest answer to that question is, for his birthday? Yeah. I don't know if it's for his birthday. As a gift, his grandma gifts Luke to albino mice. Right, yeah, And he sets up like a obstacle course for them at his house. And this is before they go to the hotel for the holiday. And he's like basically like training these mice, isn't he? That's like his thing. Mm. And there's a moment and this is the thing that really disturbed me the most. And I don't know why it is, but there's a moment just at the end of that scene where he's got this like mouse training academy in his bedroom. Mm. It's close up, high angle. There's a mouse sitting on top of a plastic skeleton right (laughs) like a little skeleton toy and the skeleton toy is like animatronic so it's like a button's pressed and it's sort of moves around and dances and goes ha, 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 like that and there's just right. a white mouse on top of it. It just cuts to that at the end of the sequence and then it cuts to them approaching the hotel. And it was that little bit with the mouse on top of the toy skeleton <laughs> that freaked me the fuck out and I don't know why. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why it was that particular oh, moment, mate. but it was then I was like I'm in for a bumpy ride now because nothing's really happened yet properly. <laughs> Shit's about to hit the fan and it was that moment that sort of set that up for me so yeah that is the thing that scared me like i can't even describe like i described it very poorly but it's just like an albino mouse, a mouse like climbing on top of a toy skeleton that like has red flashing eyes and it sort of dances about and it's horrible. And it was then I was like, Jesus, man, like we're in a nor- We're like in a safe space. We're in his fucking bedroom and you're traumatizing me here. Like it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better.
1: I would actually say the most horrifying sequence of the movie for me, other than the painting story, because I do really think that that's genuinely like that is, like you say, it's like out of an A24 indie horror movie or something. It and it's is, cool. It's yeah, it's, cool it's as really well. cool. It's really like, it's like a, a short story, you know? Yeah. I loved that bit. But the bit that I found the most viscerally horrifying was when the witches' convention properly starts and they lock the doors and the Grand High Witch is like, right, you can take off your shoes. And they all take off their shoes. And then she's like, right, you can take off your wigs. And it just shows like all the witches taking off their wigs. And then it hard cuts to uh, the Grand High Witch halfway through peeling her face off. And it's like, I knew that that happened. I knew that she would remove her face and reveal her real face. But it was just this hard cut from all these witches removing her wigs to her face already being halfway peeled off. It's proper body horror, isn't it? Yeah, it's like... it's wild. It's wild that that's allowed to be in this movie. Because she's like... Because you you can see the actor's face, the actor's normal face, sort of like from the eyebrows down. And then above the eyebrows, it's just this fleshy, red, bloody mess, you know, with the skin flapping off. It's like she's literally peeling her skin off. It is absolutely horrendous. I think if we look at this movie as just a horror movie, not even as a kid's movie, but just as a horror movie. It excels. It does a really good job. Yeah. But yeah, I think we've more or less touched on everything that I liked about this movie. I I do want to say that generally speaking, I really enjoyed the movie. Like, I was pretty much on board from start to finish Mm -hmm. and I think I I didn't leave the movie feeling dissatisfied. It came in, it did its job and it was an experience that I don't, regret having
0: definitely an experience
1: yeah i wanted to say it was an enjoyable experience but then i was like was it an enjoyable experience but like i appreciated (laughs) the experience that it gave me regardless of whether or not that experience was enjoyable (laughs) um but did you have anything else specific that you wanted to mention
0: yeah like I, i sort of alluded to it right at the start but i think jim henson's creature shop needs a bit of a shout out for the puppet work, particularly on the mice. Oh yeah. When our two child protagonists are turned into mice, like they actually use animatronics and puppets for the little mice. And they do that fantastically. And they actually do some good stuff with scale as well. So there's yeah. like close ups of the mice and they change the scale of all the props in the mise-en-scene to mm. reflect it. I just thought they did that properly and that's what I've been desperate to see more of in other films like this that uses animal protagonists. So mm. Mouse Hunt was a classic example. This is what I'm after man when we've got when we've got these little puppets it's not going for realism it just has this really charming sort of aesthetic to it and i just love it yeah whenever i saw those puppets i was happy
1: yeah absolutely and like you said they're not realistic but that seems to fit with the uncanny aesthetic of the rest of the film and they have a really cute physicality to them and it's just little things so there's one moment that i really enjoyed where luke's still a mouse and he's got like the grand high Witch's address book and he's like this book contains all the names of every witch in america and then the, his little mouse hand just taps the book. Like the hand is like animated <laughs> yeah. at the wrist to tap the book. And I was like, just that level of detail is so brilliant. And it's just so hilarious. And I think it provides some much needed comic relief yeah. in the darker segments of the movie. Because the concept of a child being turned into a mouse against his will is fairly horrifying. Luke's totally
0: okay with it, isn't he? And that's that diffuses the tension nicely, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's totally into it. So is the other kid, you know, because he just gets to eat all day. <laughs> he's he's, he's la- loving life. He's just like throwing... Throw me into
1: a bag of peanuts and let me die. Like. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, no. No, I agree. And obviously, we sort of touched upon this when we were talking about the performances and the horror and all of this. But generally speaking, the makeup, the prosthetics, the animation, the creature shop, like you say, is fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, and notably, if we're talking about the mice as well, when the boys transform into the mice... Yeah, it's cool. The first sequence, I think it's Bruno, is the other kid's name. When he transforms into a mouse... It looks really cool. It is executed so well. And they show each stage of his transformation. And that really reminded me of Big Trouble in Little China or other or, or John Carpenter stuff. It was really, like... I don't know how they pulled off that effect, but regardless of what techniques they used, it was completely seamless.
0: Well, it's testament to how good that was because this poor guy plays Bruno, Charlie Potter, um, it's the only film he's been credited for and it's actually his mug shot on IMDb is him half as a mouse. (laughs) So like, if that doesn't tell you how good these uh, special effects are, that's the best shot they could get of this kid (laughs) is him
1: half as a mouse. Oh, can I tell you what? Being transformed into mice did
0: wonders for these kids' performances. <laughs> because then they only had to voice act from then on. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, with that being said, should we probably move on to some other stuff that we liked a little bit less? Yeah, let's do it. Witches spend their time plotting to kill children, stalking the wretched child like a hunter stalks a bird in the forest.
1: Okay, Ollie, so we've kind of touched on it already, uh, but why don't you tell me about some of the things you enjoyed a bit less in this movie?
0: Yeah, um, child actors, Paddy. Yes. Like, what's going on with the child actors in these movies? They are not good. I know,
1: right? It's a real disappointment because I think this period of filmmaking was characterised by the idea that if a child performance is bad, it's okay because they're a child. There was like an expectation for children to be bad at their jobs, basically. Yeah. But I think it's a shame that that got taken for granted because there are some genuinely wonderful child actors out there who have given wonderful performances. Just off the top of my head, I watched a movie called The Florida Project recently, which is driven entirely by a cast of children. And I don't know how they were directed. I don't know what went into getting those performances out of them, but they're wonderful. They're just children being children and it's a great performance. Mm -hmm. I think um, Christina Ricci is another example of a young actor who's always pretty solid and uh, consistent in her performances.
0: Yeah, well, think about other uh, Roald Dahl adaptations that have child protagonists. So like Matilda is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Charlie, who plays the titular Charlie in Charlie in the Chocolate Factory from the 60s. He's brilliant in that as well. Mm-hmm. Like there are good examples from the same canon of films yeah. where we have good child actors. But these two are just rubbish. They're rubbish
1: it's an interesting one isn't it because you have to ask yourself how much of the responsibility is down to the child actor themselves and how much is down to them how they're being directed and also how much is down to just the expectations of their performance like if they give in a halfway serviceable performance are people just being like yeah that'll do
0: probably there's probably like legislation around how you well there definitely is legislation yeah. around how you direct child actors I imagine you can't be overly critical to them particularly on a shoestring film like this but you've got 11 million dollars like you're not gonna you're not gonna throw your weight around too much and upset the kids are you but like there is a benchmark and these guys fly way below it in my opinion yeah i think the benchmark in my head i know we mentioned a couple of
1: other child actors already but i think the benchmark in my head is probably the kid that plays elliot in et and there's a video floating around on youtube of uh his audition for that role right and you just see these big tears just well up in his eyes and he just suddenly starts crying and like it's an audition and it's an absolutely amazing performance. That's one side of the spectrum and this is the other and it's a shame because they're really disappointing they're really shit, they're entirely unlikable and also Luke kind of reminds me of me at that age as well and I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Entirely unlikable? (laughs) No, well the fact that he's unlikable leaves a bad taste in my mouth because physically he reminds me so much of me when I was that age.
0: Well, I think I think the benchmarks for me would be um, Tim and Lex from Jurassic Park. Yeah. Basically, Spielberg. I did a paper on this, I think, at university, actually. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. But I did I did Spielberg's use of child actors as a paper. He gets the best out of them. I don't know how much you put that down to him or to his casting team. Mm. But he, he, generally speaking, if it's a Spielberg movie, the kids perform well.
1: Well, he also has that kid from uh, Sixth Sense in AI, doesn't he? Yeah. And Dakota Fanning in Minority Report. Yeah, he gets some good child
0: actors in his movies.
1: And it makes such a difference. It makes such a difference. And that's the point I'm ultimately trying to make. We could go on endlessly. I think there is a real tendency to go, oh, child actors, they're all shit. We've just given you like six or seven very good child actors. So there's no excuse yeah. as far as I'm concerned. And I don't think, just to bring things back on point a little bit, I don't think it really harms the experience of watching this movie too much.
0: No, it definitely harms it a bit. A little bit. Because, like, when the witches are unveiled at the hotel all of Luke's performance elements are gestures and bless him his face is good for absurd gestures isn't it let's yeah, be yeah, honest yeah yeah but he doesn't say very much which is good yeah. like he's not saying anything but in the second half of the movie when he's that fucking mouse he doesn't shut up yeah. and that's the problem for me
1: <laughs> okay okay i think that's a very fair criticism um <laughs> well what, what else did you have on your list <laughs>
0: there's some really strange screenwriting decisions in this film like Mm. really peculiar it suffers a little bit from being bloated story wise like there's a lot of unnecessary stuff that happens like I don't know this probably will bleed over into the changes we're going to make a little bit so I'll be a bit careful but first of all why does it start in Norway? Why do they have to go to England before going to America? Yeah. Why do they go to that particular hotel? Like why are the parents dead? Like there's lots of strange choices made mm-hmm. I haven't read the book for years mm. so I'm not sure but like that's the sort of thing where a good screenwriter would go right as a book it works to have this stuff in there but definitely doesn't work as a film yeah maybe it's paying too much close attention to the source material and I think it's massively to the film's detriment because basically the ending is completely rushed like the last two minutes are just bonkers in terms yeah. of how, how quickly it comes to a conclusion uh, I'm talking like post hotel right yeah like yeah, when yeah. He's back at the house. Like, it just all goes very, very quickly at the end. Yeah. And I think that's because someone hasn't really thought about the screenplay closely enough
1: yeah i agree and i would actually say i agree first of all with what you said in terms of the location settings like it really only needed to be in one place it doesn't need to be norway england then america it can be one country and they go to a seaside resort yeah i think it would have been interesting for it to be norway to be honest with you
0: yeah for sure
1: but then again because most of the cast is british and because there's something vaguely horrific about just like a little seaside holiday hotel for some reason
0: it's a- bit wicker man isn't
1: it yeah or like the lobster or something you know? <laughs> yeah. it's just the horror of the mundane it really works but either way having it just be in one country would make a lot of narrative sense and interestingly enough i always go on about i'm a big advocate of the tight 90 you know i think movies these days have become like unnecessarily bloated i think it's very rare that you need a movie to be over two hours long and i love it when you get a movie that is more or less bang on 90 minutes and this movie even though it's only 90 minutes long it's still some Feels too long. Yeah. Again, this is an issue with the pacing and the screenplay. But I think maybe the story is just better suited to like a shorter vignette or a television special. Well, I
0: I was gonna say that it feels it feels like TV movie to me, or like a three episode limited series or something. Yeah. More than a ninety minute cinema experience. Like that's probably why it didn't do particularly well Mm -hmm. because it meanders a little bit too much, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. And you could this could have easily been a really tight, good episode. like the Twilight Zone or something like that. I feel like the bulk of the narrative could have been told in an hour or so in a similar way to early Wallace and Gromit movies which to me I remember as being you know, fully-fledged movies, but none of them were quite feature-length, like The Wrong Trousers and
0: stuff. Dude, I, I was shocked, right? I haven't seen Wallace and Gromit for ages. I was shocked when I found out that The Wrong Trousers is like 25 minutes long. Yeah, it's madness. Because when I was a kid, that was like four hours of my day was that 30 minutes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's just good storytelling because it, you're obviously immersed enough in it to forget the time frame. If you're drawn attention to how long something is or how short something is they've done a bad job at immersing you in it. If you're watch checking at any point while you're watching something, you know, they've not done a good job in the pacing.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And I think it's something to do with distribution. You probably know about this a little bit more than me, but I think if you hit that feature length mark, which is typically seen to be around 90 minutes, it affects sort of the kind of distribution that you can have as a feature length movie. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe being shorter would mean a movie like this wouldn't get into the cinemas, for example, because nobody's going to go and watch a 45-minute movie in yeah. the cinemas.
0: Yeah, like, the the industry standard is 90 minutes. And yeah. Well, it's not, not so much anymore, like you pointed out, but the minimum requirement for it to be a theatrical release should be 90 minutes. Right. But from a modern perspective, like, you know, if a film's under two and a half hours, it's considered short now. Yeah. I was absolutely flabbergasted that <laughs> James Bond the new James Bond was nearly three hours long yeah I saw that runtime when I hired it off Amazon Prime the other day and I was like oh for fuck's sake man like I don't need three hours of this yeah give me like you said tight 90 that's all you need bring back the tight 90 the witches is a loose 90. yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need tight 90s <laughs> yeah I want
1: to put that on a t-shirt should we merchandise that bring back the tight 90 <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that would sell particularly well, would it?
0: (laughs) yeah i think certain demographics would enjoy it but maybe not the ones we're aiming for no definitely not um so i just
1: have one more criticism of the movie that i'd like to make and it's to do with the way the film equates physical deformity and irregularity with evil so having stubby toes having bald heads having like itchy scabs on your heads and your arms and things like that and this is more of a problem to do with the popular conception of witches rather than the movie itself but i just think it's a little bit tired and I think There's a YouTube channel called In Praise of Shadows, which does a phenomenal video series on the history of how witches are portrayed in popular culture. Cool. And one of the things that he deconstructs in that video essay is this idea of physical repugnance being inherently evil, Mm -hmm. which I think is an idea that's worth challenging. And even this movie aside, I think it actually speaks to wider issues with the work of Roald Dahl anyway, because Roald Dahl often placed a lot of emphasis on how physical appearance is somehow reflective of inner character yeah especially in books like the twits and you know at best that's a superficial way of looking at the world and at worst i reckon it can be quite harmful actually
0: yeah i think well yeah i think you're right i also think like the what would the alternative be for this particular film what making the making the witches noticeably beautiful to make them seem evil. Yeah, that would have its own problems, wouldn't it? Like Yeah, and I also think that like that's tricky to sell to children anyway. Yeah. Although it might be misleading of Roald Dahl or whoever to say that evil equals ugly effectively um, that's how children I guess see the world a lot of the time so I guess that you just play into those don't you And it's an easy win is what I'm getting at I think though is
1: that how children see the world or is that how they've been conditioned to see the world is yeah, an interesting thing true. for me because I actually have a distinct memory and this is maybe getting a little bit personal but I remember I was sat on a bus as a kid once and this guy with like a, quite a serious birthmark on his face sat down next to me and I remember it really freaked me out probably because of movies like this actually <laughs> yeah. I got Got visibly freaked out by this poor guy who just had a birthmark on his face. And I think there's something to be said for trying to deconstruct certain ideas that we project onto younger audiences you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. I also think there's actually potential for more horror in stuff that isn't the grotesque. So, if you take, for example, have you read The Picture of Dorian Gray? No, no. Which is an Oscar Wilde novel from late 1800s, early 1900s, and it's about someone who is so physically perfect, but their soul is completely corrupted. Mm. So it's this idea that the horror lies in how perfectly beautiful they are, Mm. and that is equally, if not more, horrifying is when you have something that looks so alluring and beautiful and perfect it's almost too perfect. So it plays into the uncanny basically. Yeah. And that you can mine some serious horror from that. Mm. It's an easy win to make something look disgusting because you can easily point it as evil if you make it look disgusting. Yeah. But I think that it can be more effective sometimes to have it work the other way around.
1: No 100% I absolutely agree with you. Um, But to answer your earlier question in terms of how to tackle that in this movie specifically I would actually say rather than saying you know witches are bold and they have bad skin and bad teeth and they have stubby toes just really lean into what the grand high witch was you know which was an inhuman demonic figure yeah you know if you're going to make the witches horrific and grotesque then make them inhuman you know yeah don't make them someone that you might walk past on the street yeah do you know what i mean yeah 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 but yeah that was just a a minor point for me, but it was something that I wanted to raise. And I feel like we're starting to encroach onto the territory of changes. So is there anything else you wanted to discuss about the things you didn't enjoy about this
0: movie? No, I think we should, uh, let's move into how we would change things. Every child in England shall be rubbed out, destroyed. Every single child eliminated. One child a week is no good to me. Uh, So Paddy, how would you change this film given the opportunity? Well, it's actually a bit interesting because other than minor
1: bits and bobs that I've mentioned in the bad stuff, there's not a whole lot I would change. However, one thing I would definitely change is the ending of the movie. So at the end of the movie, what happens is Luke and his grandma have planned to take down all the witches in America, basically. And Luke at this point is still in his mouse form and he's like fully accepted that he's a mouse and he's just going to be a mouse for the rest of his life. And he's like perfectly happy being a mouse.
0: Weirdly happy. He's fine with it.
1: Yeah, he's completely on board. And then what happens is the... Grand High Witch's Ex-secretary Comes to the house And through the window Transforms him back Into a child Yeah And the reason I'm bringing this up Is because in the book That does not happen In the book Luke stays as a mouse Mm. And I think I read somewhere I remember reading
0: somewhere That the studio felt This would be too dark An ending I was literally about to say This smacks of Hollywood Saying No You're not having that We need to resolve everything It feels tacked on Doesn't it Massively
1: Yeah It's very Disney movie it's like the good fairy godmother comes in at the end and saves the day yeah but to be honest they should have just gone there they should have just gone there and then the movie wouldn't have had to end on a shot of a naked child flying through the air (laughs) (laughs) good point good point yeah but yeah so the biggest change i would make is i would have the ending be more like the book because the movie is so dark and so visceral already why not just let him live the rest of his life as a mouse and actually in the book it is really dark because he stays as a mouse, and he has a shortened lifespan, and they acknowledge that in the book. God damn but it. the reason Luke wants the reason Luke wants to stay as a mouse is because he doesn't want to outlive his grandmother. So he decides to stay as a mouse so that he'll die before her.
0: Jesus
1: Christ! Yeah, that is very very dark. But at the end of the day, it's a it's a dark movie.
0: It's a really dark movie. Well, it's funny, isn't it? That Warner Brothers are okay with like people being squashed and mutated and poisoned and killed, yeah. but they're not okay with a kid remaining as a mouse even though he's perfectly happy as a mouse he's got his little you
1: know jungle gym that he's made for himself he's got his miniature airplane and his little you know scale electrics track that takes him around the house and you know, he seems like he's happy as a pig in shit, so just leave him leave him to it. Yeah, he's golden. He's golden. But yeah, that that's the thing I would change about the movie is keep the ending the same as the book and have him remain as a mouse at the end because it would feel more tonally in line with what's happened in the movie and it would be something of a Pyrrhic victory. What about you?
0: Um, well, it sort of ties into the screenplay issues that I mentioned in the bad stuff, but you can just tighten a lot of the screws up in, in this film, I think. So I would reframe it slightly, like, although although all the stuff at the start where the grandma's doing an exposition dump of how what witches are... I would maybe integrate that more into the narrative, like drip feed it in a little bit more as opposed to just having it in a block at the start. Mm. We don't need to know that Luke's parents die. Like that doesn't Mm. need to happen. He's just a kid that lives with his grandma. We can just establish that. That's fine. And they decide that they're going to go on holiday for the weekend. And I think that maybe on their journey to the hotel, that exposition of what witches are comes across. Maybe they get to the hotel and the first night in the hotel, she's explaining what witches are and you can have all of that really lovely stuff about the girl in the painting and that when they're at the hotel mm. and then we realise that the hotel is also going to have a convention for isn't it? It's a lovely little joke actually they're, they're, <laughs> yeah. their disguise of their convention for killing all the children is isn't it like the NSPCC or something like yeah,
1: that? Yeah yeah it's like some <laughs> version of the NSPCC like the National Society for the Protection <laughs> of Children or some shit. It's brilliant,
0: like, it's brilliant. and she and, yeah. and uh, the Grand High Witch can barely like hold back her vomit when she's at like, yeah. the, at the the fundraiser for it is brilliant. Yeah, she can't say the word "children" without yeah. wanting to vomit into amazing <laughs> it's so and her ex, her like assistant, is just holding a bowl under her face. It's so good. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I would just cut the start together a little bit better and not have it so meandering. And just, yeah, there's just these strange little moments that, to be fair, add to the film's charm. But from a screenwriting perspective, are just completely bonkers. So I would sort of cut a lot of that down. But the problem that you have then is that we alluded to earlier is that it's not 90 minutes long. Mm. But I think this would work, like you said, very well as like a 45 minute episode on something like the twilight zone yeah there's 45 minutes worth of substance to this movie you could cut it in half and it would be twice as effective i think
1: yeah i i definitely agree with that and speaking of you know unnecessary plot points this is something i wanted to bring up earlier but it was sort of too minor a point for me to really bother with but how unnecessary is like the weird sub plot romance between rowan atkinson the hotel manager and like one of the maids there's just like this little romance that's going through the movie that contributes nothing to the narrative like absolutely nothing you could just do away with it it's just little little things like that that just really aren't necessary to the overall story so yeah i agree you could you could trim a lot of the fat in this movie actually
0: and like you rightly said the ending is bullshit so I i would change that as well
1: yeah Cool. Well, yeah, that's good. I like it. I like it a lot. I'm actually tempted to go back and read the book now, to be honest with you, to see how it, to see how it holds up in comparison to the movie. Yeah, me too. Me too. But with all that out of the way, Ollie, there's just one question I need to ask you, (laughs) which is, do you think you need rose tinted specs to enjoy this movie or do you think it still holds up to scrutiny?
0: This movie definitely still holds up. Yeah. I'm amazed it didn't impact me more when I was a kid Mm. I like to consider myself reasonably normal as an adult and I can't believe that this film in my childhood has not made me more abnormal than I am (laughs) But I think you can definitely appreciate this movie for what it is nowadays, maybe a little bit more with an adult lens, because I think the horrifying nature of it is intensified when you study it in this way. Mm. So I think this film absolutely holds up. And I'm actually inclined to go and give it another watch just to see some of those grotesque special effects again. Yeah. Because there's some really good stuff in here that's really worth um, going and watching and enjoying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would actually agree with that. I think this is one of the few movies that we've looked at so far that I would happily Rewatch again, just because I want to gross people out. Oh uh,
0: yeah, it'd be like, oh come on, you've got to see this. It, it's yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. getting a YouTube compilation of this movie would be something that I, I'm going to do now, you know. You want to see something gross? Have a look at this. Yeah, I definitely think it still holds
1: up. You don't need rose-tinted specs to appreciate this one. I think it's actually, it's a really solid movie. Yeah. It's a really solid movie. It's and charming, I, and I, isn't it? Yeah, it is charming, and I do agree with you that I think you can appreciate this more as an adult than as a child. When you're a child and you watch this movie, you're kind of just like, oh, that was weird yeah don't want to watch that again let's go watch mouse yeah. hunt instead you know but um, it's like it's the complete opposite when you're watching it as an adult this holds up a lot more than some of its contemporaries
0: yeah I would say that yeah as a, as a kid you're like that was weird I don't want to see that again as an adult you're like that's weird I want to rewind it and watch it again yeah yeah yeah. hundred percent that's the difference right definitely definitely well I guess that just about does it then um
1: really enjoyed discussing this movie really enjoyed watching this movie yeah it was fun but yeah if you guys out there have watched this movie recently just drop us an email at rosetintedmovies@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts. Follow us on Instagram at rosetintedmovies. Let us know what movies you think we should be covering next. I need to say thank you to Dilettante for letting us use their song My Dress as our theme tune. You can check them out at Dilettante Songs on social media. But in the meantime, I have been Paddy. And I've been Ollie. And we have been Rose Tinted. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.